0: Chapter 18 I didn't know David. I realize that now. I hadn't really had the time to get to know him. It had been one crisis piled on top of the next since we'd first learned about David finding the blue box. I knew each of the others. Name any situation. I could tell you exactly how Cassie, or Marco, or Rachel, or Tobias, or even Axe would react. But David remained unknown unpredictable. He'd been brave, mostly. He'd done what he had to do, mostly. But there had been things. The way he had been in Eagle Morph and attacked some passing bird for no reason. The way he'd gotten weird in the Lion Morph. And the thing with breaking into the hotel room. All totally understandable. Nothing really awful. Not given how his entire life had been ripped apart. He seemed to get along with Cassie and Rachel and Tobias okay. He mostly ignored Axe, like he was afraid of him. Which is easy to understand. Andalites take some getting used to. He and Marco obviously did not get along, but that was easy to understand too. Marco is my best friend in the world, but like Axe, he can take some getting used to. We'd made our plans for the banquet that night, and after we were done... With the sun just going down, I give Cassie a private, follow me, look. We went outside, leaving the others in the barn. I led her a little distance away, beyond the range of Tobias' sharp hawk hearing. You want to ask me about David, Cassie said. I think my jaw dropped open. Okay, how did you know? You've been watching him all afternoon, like you're trying to figure him out. I nodded. Okay, so what do you think? About him? Cassie shrugged and looked back toward the barn. I don't know. I can't seem to figure him out. He's lost his family, his life, his home. He doesn't seem upset enough for that, you know? I mean, sometimes he acts upset, but I don't know. Well, that's helpful. I said, making a deprecating face. You're supposed to be the insightful one. I'm just a moron when it comes to figuring people out. Cassie laughed. Then she put her arm through mine. Take one worry at a time, fearless leader. We have the mission tonight. We have to save the world. Let's do that, then figure out the new kid. What do you think of the plan? Cassie rolled her eyes. Axe says it can be done, and Marco says it's insane. I agree with both of them. The plan was pretty simple and straightforward, but it was ambitious, too. See, we didn't just want to save the heads of state. We wanted to force them to confront the truth, that there were aliens among us and we were under attack. If we could do that, the world really would be saved. Axe had explained the way the hologram of the pillar and its force field were created. A ship, probably Three's 3's ship, was parked maybe 10,000 feet above the hotel. It was cloaked so it would be invisible to radar and eyesight. It had to hold its station perfectly, never wobbling. It beamed the holographic picture and the force field down through the roof of the banquet hall. It took enormous, unimaginable amounts of energy. Especially with inferior Yerk technology, Axe had said snidely. Antelope technology would do it better, of course. But Eric and the other tree use holograms constantly, Marco pointed out. Their visible bodies are holograms. Yes. Obviously, in that one area, the technology the Chi possess is somewhat superior, even to intellect technology. Way superior, Marco said, deliberately busting axe and grinning the whole time. Way, way superior. I mean, Just so I have this straight, you're saying the Chi technology would be to Andalite technology, like human technology is to, oh, say, chimpanzees? That brought a laugh from everyone, all except David. David's gaze was somewhere else. He was looking at us, but from far off. Like we were each animals at the zoo. Like he was sizing us up. Axe got the best of Marco in the end. Actually, the gap would have to be even wider, since there really isn't all that much of a difference between human technology and chimpanzee technology. Whoa, score one for the axe, man, Rachel said. The basic plan was simple enough. According to axe, the beams from the bladeship were focused to be strongest at ground level. The higher you got, the easier it would be to penetrate the beam and get inside the hologram. From that point on, you could drop straight down to the hidden Yurk pool. Just a few major problems. We would have to instantly take out any controllers who were stationed within the hologram column. And if any of us stepped outside the hologram, there would be security guys on us before we could think. Then we'd have to be ready to snatch the various world leaders as they were pushed toward us and convince them to play along, despite the fact that most of them didn't speak English. And oh, by the way, Eric had warned us that one of the men, one of those world leaders, was ALREADY a controller. At least one of them. It would be a very strange game. Chapter 19 Have I mentioned that this is insane? Marco said. Yeah, I think you may have. I said. Have I mentioned that of all the insane things we've ever done? This is so insane that it makes all previous insanity seem sane? I don't think you've mentioned that more than, oh, nine billion times, I said. Well, as long as we're clear on the fact that this is insane. In-sane. Marco, shut up or I'll squeeze harder, Rachel said. Here was the situation. We were all in birds of prey morphs. We were flying high. Too high for birds of prey at night with no thermals to lift us up. We were working at it, I can tell you that. We were flopping like idiots, fighting for every foot of altitude. And to make things worse, we were carrying things. I was carrying a teardrop-shaped lead weight. It wasn't all that big, maybe 4 ounces. But try carrying even 4 ounces when you're a peregrine falcon. Falcons aren't all that big. Tobias, Cassie, David, and Axe were all carrying similar weights. plum bobs, fishing weights, and even an awl. We'd found them in some old tools and fishing tackle in Cassie's barn. Rachel was carrying Marco. And Marco was a snake. In fact, he was the cobra David used to own. David's snake had been made safe by the removal of its poison sacks. But since marco morphed from the dna the surgery was irrelevant marco was a fully functional cobra with venom that could knock down a horse in seconds and kill it in minutes rachel as the largest of us with her bald eagle morph drew the task of carrying marco we were high above the beach following the surf line so we wouldn't get lost there was no moon even if there had been we'd never have seen it because clouds big black Rain soggy clouds, covered the sky. It felt like those clouds were right on top of us. Actually, they were. As I flew, I'd pass through wisps of their lower edges. The surf below was bright enough, though. It was a wavy, silvery line, advancing, retreating, but always pointing the way for us. Just in case we had trouble with the darkness, Cassie had gone into a great-horned owl morph. Our bird of prey eyes were not nearly as good at night as they were in the day, but Cassie could see the individual sand crabs scuttling around hundreds of feet below us. Ahead and far below, the lights of the Marriott Resort were blazingly bright. It was lit up like a Monday night football game. We passed silently over the line of trees that marked the edge of the compound. Oh, wow, Cassie said suddenly. It's him. Cool. It's who? I demanded an alarm. The president! He's walking from that cottage over to another cottage. Can't you see him? He's wearing shorts. Hey, let's go see if we can get an autograph. David suggested, and then broke up laughing at his own joke. Axeman? Tobias asked. Are we high enough to be able to penetrate this force field? I believe so. Uck said. Probably. Most likely. Well, that's reassuring. Marco, of course. I will go first. Uck said. If I appear to run into an invisible wall and am not unconscious and fall toward the ground, you'll know the force field is still too strong at this height. Was that Andalite humor? I could never be sure. Axe pushed a little extra power into his hairier wings and pulled ahead. We watched him fly over the banquet hall, directly over the place where we knew the hologram slash force field entered the roof. He seemed lost for a moment, going this way and that. Then... I am inside, he said. Ha! We're only 200 feet up! An N-Light force field would be ten times this strong at this distance from the focus point. He flew in a very tight circle, staying within the beam. We flew to catch up with him. There was an itchy, creepy, crawly sensation as I flew through the perimeter, like ants covering my feathers. But then I was in. And now, looking down, I could see straight through the perfect circular hole in the roof. It was light down there. Light enough for me to see the heads of three controllers. Three of them, Rachel said. No problemo. We could see the tiny, stainless steel yerk pool. And we could see the human controllers lurking beside it. Three heads. Three targets. Ready? I asked. Let's do it, Rachel yelled. I am ready, Prince Jake. Definitely not. Marco said glumly. Okay, I go first. Then David, since we're the fastest in a dive. Then Tobias, Cassie, X, and Rachel with Marco, you come last. On the count of three. One. Two. I spilled air from my wings, flicked my tail, and headed straight down. I flopped to build up speed, and I rocketed down that tube. The fastest thing in the air is a peregrine falcon in a dive. I broke a hundred miles per hour within seconds and kept building speed. Faster and faster as my laser-intensity falcon eyes watched the head below me grow larger and larger. I gripped the lead weight in my talons. I was a dive bomber, and I was doing well over a hundred miles per hour when I released my bomb. Now you know why we were carrying the weights. Chapter 20 Down, 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 like a diving fighter plane. I released the weight, flared my wings just a hair, slowed, and swept aside as David's own bomb dropped past me. My lead weight dropped. David's dropped. Then, more slowly, three more weights. Thunk, thunk. The first two controllers went down like someone had, well, like someone had dropped a very fast-moving lead weight on their heads. I mean, they just dropped. The third guy was gaping at them when a near-miss hit his shoulder. He jerked aside, avoiding the next bomb. But the final bomb caught him square on his head, and he fell over the other two controllers. We all inscribed tight circles inside the beam as Rachel went blazing past, trailing Marco from her talons. She flared, killed her speed at the last minute, then dropped expertly down through the hole. We followed. One of the controllers was moving, trying to roll over. Rachel released Marco. He dropped directly onto the moving controller and sank his fangs into the man's leg. He delivered a very small dose of toxin. Enough, we hoped, to keep the guy down, but leave him breathing. One by one, we landed. It was bizarre beyond belief. We were invisible to everyone else in the banquet hall, but they were not invisible to us. The place was jammed. Hundreds of people, men in tuxedos women in gowns. They were sitting at the long tables, milling around and talking, and leaning over to whisper to one another, and nibbling appetizers, and sipping white wine. And these weren't just people. They were people of the seriously important, powerful variety. The main table extended straight out from us. The man closest to us could have reached out and touched us. Only if he had, he'd have felt what he thought was a cool marble column. I noticed that one of the lead weights had bounced out of the hologram. It lay at some woman's feet. Fortunately, no one had seen it come flying out of a seemingly solid pillar. We were all demorphing rapidly, but I think we were all busy being a little awestruck, too. Three places down along the table was the Premier of Russia. Down from him, the French Prime Minister. I had to resist a powerful temptation to just step out of the pillar and say, Hey, look at my man Axe here. Get a clue. Aliens are real and we're being invaded. I had to resist because there was an extreme number of guys in dark suits with sinister bulges under their jackets and very, very serious expressions. If I stepped out of the pillar with Axe, there would be about 500 bullets from five different nations in our bodies before we could say hello. The subject of this whole summit meeting was the Middle East. I guess people get jumpy when that's the topic under discussion and the guys in the dark suits and shoulder holsters were probably jumpy to start with. We demorphed and stood there, crammed together around the stainless steel yerk pool. Axe had to keep his tail held close to keep it from showing. I didn't even want to think about what would happen if that tail blade suddenly appeared from the middle of a marble pillar. Now what? Rachel mouthed silently. We wait, I said, just as quietly. Although, as noisy as the room was, We probably could have yelled and not been heard. We waited as the president sat down and was greeted with applause. We waited as they served soup. And then we waited as they served a salad. And waited some more as they started serving fish. Something tingled the back of my neck. Something wrong. Something... I nudged Cassie. Didn't you say you saw the president outside? She nodded and gave me a quizzical look. You said he was wearing shorts. Now he's in a tuxedo. She looked confused. I must have been mistaken, she whispered. Must have been some guy who looked like the president. One of the controllers we'd knocked out started to stir, so Marco marched back to Cobra and gave him a mild dose in the leg. Then came dessert. And the sad thing was, I was starving. I mean, I could have reached out and grabbed a dessert off the table. That's how close I was. It was weird, like being the invisible man. But at last came the speeches. Get ready, I said, quietly rousing the others, some of whom were half asleep from boredom. Let's get these guys' suits and ties. Um, not you, Rachel, or Cassie. I kind of think this is a job for the boys only. It took about five minutes but soon we had three suits of clothing and three unconscious guys in boxers and undershirts. Alex, David, and I each acquired one of the unconscious controllers. I know what you're thinking. We have a rule against morphing other humans. But to my mind, these weren't really other humans. The bodies may have been, but their minds were pure yerk. Besides, there was no other way. Even Cassie had agreed for this one time. If we didn't pull this off, the leaders of the free world would be made into slaves of the Yerks. That couldn't happen. Alex began to morph a guy in his late 20s. David and I began to morph into what could almost have been some version of ourselves 20 years from now. Rachel and Cassie turned discreetly away. It was an easy morph. But to tell you the truth, it was weird anyway. There was something just wrong about using someone else's DNA like that. Something creepy. At some level, we were doing something very close to what the Yerks were doing. We were taking control of a human being. Not their minds, of course, because morphing just gives you the body and the instincts, not the memory, the thoughts, the soul of an individual. Basically, we were cloning these three unconscious men, making exact duplicates of their physical selves. For me, the actual morph was a big nothing. I looked different but I didn't feel any different. Just taller, heavier, and like I needed a shave. I quickly donned the man's suit and slipped the still-knotted tie over my head. As soon as Axe had human arms, we slipped his controller's suit and shirt on him. We'd all seen Axe try to put on artificial skin, as he called it, and we didn't have time to wait around for him to figure out the difference between armholes and leg holes. Then we tried to put on the tie. Just one problem. Cassie had picked up the tie he'd dropped and nervously unknotted it. None of us guys had a clue how to retie it. For about ten seconds, Marco and David and Tobias and I just stared at one another and at the tie and back at one another. Then Rachel whispered, Oh, good grief. You guys are pathetic. None of you have ever tied a tie? She snatched the tie out of my hands, whipped it around Axe's neck, tied it neatly, cinched it up, rebuttoned his shirt using the buttonholes we'd managed to miss, buttoned the top button of his jacket, straightened his lapels, and pushed his hair into place, all in less time than we'd wasted staring blankly at one another. She grabbed one of Axe's shoulders and spun him around to face the doorway in the force field. The Yuriks' plan was simple. Wait until one of the presidents or prime ministers disappeared behind the marble column. Then, when the hologram was opened for just a split second, the two controllers waiting there would shove their victim inside. The hologram emitter would project an image of the same leader walking to the stage and giving his prepared speech. When the speech was over, the man would appear to walk back behind the pillar, at which point the real leader, now a controller, would step out and boldly sit down with his wife and aides. Our plan was equally simple. We'd wait till the controllers outside shoved the president or prime minister our way, then we'd grab him and let the emitter show the guy heading up onto the stage. Meanwhile, We'd explain to the man what was happening. We'd show him the Yerks. We'd have Axe demorphed to demonstrate that he was, in fact, an alien. Then we'd let the guy go and repeat the process with each new leader. Insane, yes. But it was all we could think of. And it could have worked. Could have. If... If I'd stopped to think about just how well a great horned owl can see at night. And just how recognizable the president is. And just how long it takes to put on a tuxedo. Hello Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. And I have an email uh today. Uh, from Willis again. Hi Willis. Uh, titled Fun Coincidence. I just caught up with the Audio Experience TM, thank you for acknowledging my TM uh today and it happened to be the one where you read my last email. Thought it was cool that the first, quote, live episode I listened to was the one my email was read. Keep up the good work. Love the show. Thanks for writing in again, Willis, and guess what? It's happened again. You checked in another week, and I'm reading your email. Life's crazy. <laughs> no, but seriously, thank you for writing in. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Uh, if you, like Willis, would like to write in, you can do that through Gmail, like he has. Uh, that is audiomorphscast at gmail.com. You can also do it through Tumblr if you'd like. That's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com And uh, you can do it through my website. That's theapodcalypse.com That's the apodcalypse, Like Apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. And lastly, you can reach me on Twitter, at Audiomorphs. That Twitter is also what you should check out if uh, something's up with the show and you want to know what's going on. That's where I'll be talking about it. Uh, if you use iTunes... And, or not iTunes, Apple Podcasts, excuse me. Uh, but if you'd like to leave me a rating and review, I would appreciate and read those. Uh, if you'd like to tell a friend, I would appreciate that, uh, but I have no way to read that because you can't read a friendship. That's crazy. And I think that's all I got this week. Um, and if I miss something, that's fine. I'll catch it next week. So thank you all for listening. Uh, we're getting, we're getting in there. We're, we're not too far off from the end now. I don't think. Um, but I'll see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.